Welcome back to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Bainsner, registered nurse, health coach, and sober badass. Sometimes I say alcohol-free badass, but <laughs> today sober came out. I have on the show with me today, Jim Dickey, and he is here to share a little bit about his story with addiction and then talk about smart recovery. So welcome, Jim. Thanks, Debbie. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Uh, as you said, my name is Jim Dickey, and I'm a, a smart recovery facilitator. Uh, and I've been doing this since about uh, 2010, uh, like so many of us in uh, in the recovery field. I'm I'm also in recovery myself. Okay. And then, what has your experience been with addiction? Well, you know. Uh, the first drug I, I used was alcohol, and uh, I'm, you know, like a, a lot of other people, I did not drink uh, to get social, and I did not drink in moderation. I drank to get drunk, uh, and pretty much succeeded every time. Uh, so alcohol was the first drug I abused, and that abused me. Uh, I uh, started its use uh, in high school, and then uh, when I was uh, getting ready to go to college in that uh, that summer before I started, uh, I was uh, hanging out with a group of uh, 1965 hippies, and we I uh, was introduced to marijuana and loved it and loved the atmosphere. And, uh, you know, uh, consume that and then hung around with these people. And we did, you know, all the hippie drugs, uh, uh, LSD and pretty much any psychedelic that I could get my hands on and all the, the cannabis, uh, uh, substitutes and, you know, hashish and anything else. And then uh, I went to college and I started dabbling in, in harder drugs, uh, cocaine, uh, methamphetamine, and heroin, but just little bits of it. Uh, and I got married after about three years of college and dropped out. And that's when uh, my, my uh, alcoholism uh, got worse. Uh, I, I found that I was, uh, kind of, a, a, a when I drank, I was super aggressive and occasionally abusive. My wife and I got into lots of fights and, uh, sometimes police were called. Um, and we started using cocaine a lot. Uh, and that was probably in, you know, starting around the 1970s and I used cocaine, uh, in all its forms, mostly snorting at first and then, uh, making coke base out of it. And we got addicted to that. And there was always, I was always, uh, dealing the drugs that I use. I use it as a method of supporting myself. And, uh, I finally started getting, uh, just tired uh, of cocaine and the jangly feelings. And I started using heroin right around the same time that uh, my wife and I broke up. And then I got addicted to heroin for about 12 years. Uh, and probably the last five of those years, I, I would try and stop using and I just didn't seem to be able to quit on my own. Uh, and finally, in, in 1989, I, I got into a, a rehab called the New Bridge Foundation uh, in Berkeley. And uh, by that time, I was just so ready to, to give up on that whole lifestyle that... Uh, it it was kind of easy. It, I didn't feel any longing 
for any of the drugs that I'd used in the past. I just felt kind of elated that it was all behind me. So that's that's pretty much a a, a summary of of my drug use during those years. And so after your your rehab in '89, did have you been sober since from all substances? Yeah, I have. Uh, That's great. I, yeah, well, you know, it's easy. Sometimes people say, oh, congratulations, all that stuff. And, you know, I always say, well, you know, yeah, I was smart enough to pull my hand out of the fire, so I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it actually – it wasn't a struggle uh, after that point. I, f- I feel like I was thoroughly cooked. And I did I did 12-step for the first uh, five years of my recovery. And and then I, uh, I stopped going to any kind of meetings. And I was uh, married to my second wife at the time. And uh, she became pregnant. And that's, that's when I stopped going to meetings. And... I concentrated on a career in taking care of my children and my wife. And then where did Smart Recovery come in? You know, uh, I had a a friend uh, that I'd met at Newbridge, actually. And uh, he told me uh, about Smart Recovery, that there was this program that was science-based, and at the time, I uh, I was retired from my job. Uh, I retired when I was 60. And uh, it sounded uh, interesting, and I had plenty of time on my hand. And so I investigated it, and uh, and then I decided to go ahead and, and uh, become a facilitator and start meetings. And uh, that uh, again, this started right around 2010 is when I uh, had my first meeting. And for those that don't know, what, what is Smart Recovery? Well, Smart Recovery is, is one of several uh, peer support groups that have been formed to help uh, people with addictions. Uh, the... the um, the kind of characteristics of smart recovery is it's secular, uh, it's science-based. Uh, it was founded in 1994 by uh, professionals in the mental health field, and uh, and it's based loosely on uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and so it's it's kind of a tool-based program, and we use a lot of the same tools. Uh, that they use in CBT. Uh, it's it's very non-authoritarian. Uh, it's uh, it's open to change, so that if scientific understanding uh, changes as far as our knowledge about addiction and how it works, uh, then what we talk about in smart recovery changes, and so it grows along with with scientific understanding. That's great. And and so you said it's it's mainly like a peer support group for someone with any addiction. Yeah, I you know, uh the the addictive part of substance use or uh or a behavioral uh use or misuse uh is is the same with every every addiction. Uh you know, it's basically uh, how dopamine works on the reward systems of our brains, and and the each particular substance like alcohol or cocaine or or anything else, they all have their own type of withdrawal, and they all have uh, peculiarities like things that are individual to them. Uh, as far as what kinds of triggers uh, set us off and what types of cravings we have. But the actual addictive process, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, we, we basically always, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's no such thing as addiction without dopamine. Dopamine is what uh, produces craving 
and uh, and produces all addictions. Yeah, I had just recently been listening to some of the podcasts from the Dr. Lemke about dopamine and her book is Dopamine Nation, but it was basically like we are a culture addicted to pleasure and that can take any form, be it drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, your phone, anything. Can We can become addicted to anything that's like artificially producing more and more dopamine. Yeah, it, th- that's a great book. I love that book. I, I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but I've also watched some of her podcasts, but I, I love the book um, about two-thirds of the way through. Uh, and her book was, uh, there's another book, uh, Judith Grissel, uh wrote a book called Never Enough, and she presented a lot of the same uh, ideas uh, about uh, the opponent process theory and how, uh, you know, when we when we first uh, start engaging in uh, addictive behavior, uh, it, you know, it, it feels good. It is pleasurable. A lot of times it, it uh, is the answer to some of our, our uh, unpleasant moods or, or painful moods. Uh, And, and unfortunately, uh, every one of those uh, addictive behaviors stops working because of how we respond to it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you've heard Anna Lemke talking about that a little bit, uh, watching the podcasts. Yeah, listening to them, definitely. So smart recovery could be for anyone addicted to anything, typically the people you see would be alcohol or drug or otherwise related, would you say? You know, it's about 70 or 80% alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, alcohol, unfortunately, is the, the legal drug that's out there. And it's it's a, a major part of our culture. And there's uh, big companies out there. Uh pushing it with advertising and everything. So yeah, it's the most common drug, but yeah, we've had people, I've had people uh, with like porn addictions, uh, people with hair pulling addictions where they'll, they'll pull out little tufts of hair. Sometimes people will pull out hair and eat it. Uh, I've had um, several, like lots of gambling uh, addictions. Um the list goes on and on. I mean, you know, anything pleasurable can eventually be turned into uh, uh, an addiction. Anna Lemke was talking, I just saw that this morning. She was talking about this one woman who quit uh, drinking alcohol, but she found that uh, drinking water soothed her. And then she eventually uh, ended up drinking water addictively. <laughs> wow, which is really weird. And she ended. That was someone who ended up, uh, you know, committing suicide. And yeah. you know, that's that's one of the the big uh, threats that all all people with addictions uh, have to worry about. Uh, especially, like gambling uh, is is one of those really difficult uh, addictions that that people have a hard time quitting and they're really susceptible to suicide. Yeah, anything to get out of the pain. Yeah, exactly. Well, how does a meeting work? Well, there's several types of smart recovery meetings. Uh, at some of our meetings, uh, there's a, a People, we go around the room and people do one to three minute check-ins. Uh, if anyone's having a particularly harrowing week or uh, if they are uh, worried about their sobriety uh, or, or if they've relapsed, uh, they might want to talk a little bit longer 
about the group. And, and generally at these type of meetings, uh, there's a little feedback, but not a lot. And then the facilitator will present one or two of the uh, smart recovery tools uh, that people can use uh, that will help them uh, in their recoveries. Um, other times, uh, there's it's a little bit less formal than that. In my meetings, we generally do uh, an extended check-in, and uh, after a person finishes checking in, uh, there's feedback and uh, crosstalk. Uh, smart recovery is actually encourages crosstalk, and and people. Uh, we try not to give advice, but we also talk about our own experiences uh, in regards to what the person has just said in their check-in. And if uh, their check-in uh, indicates they could use a particular tool from Smart Recovery, uh, I or somebody else in the group will, will present that tool, talk about it a little bit, and then uh, we're, we're I've been doing Zoom now ever since the uh, the pandemic started. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put like a, a Word doc or some kind of information in the chat box, and uh, and people can can read uh, how to use that tool after the meeting. If they have any questions, they'll either bring them to the next meeting or they'll get in touch with me through email. So it sounds like there's like some real um, actionable things that you can do with the tools. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the tools themselves are all actionable. They're all like uh, things that people work through. Uh, there's there's literature on the, on the Smart Recovery uh, site. Uh, smartrecovery.org is the site. And uh, they have a blog, and then they also have, uh, you know, articles that people have written uh, to help with certain uh, areas of uh, recovery and, and addiction. Uh, and then the tools are all just like action steps, uh, maybe writing down, uh, like one of the tools is called an HOV and uh, you write down things that you value in life. Uh, and and uh, we tell people, write down 20 things that you care about. And people will write things like family or friendship or uh, education or making money. Uh, and we tell people, don't censor yourself. Just whatever comes into your head, write it down. And then... We, we tell them to pick the, the five uh, most valuable or, or the five things that they value the most and uh, out of that list of 20. And then we, we ask them, uh, well, how often do you actually do anything to, to honor that value? Uh, and, and one thing that we notice is people never say they value their addiction, even though they've they've been uh spending all their time money and energy involved with some kind of addictive behavior or substance uh but it's never on that list you know it's never really anything that we acknowledge that we care about and so you know if if people uh write down uh oh family i care about family we'll spend a little time we'll say well do you do things to actually, you know, uh, make your family happy and, and to make your family healthy? And, and if they don't, then we say, oh, you know, that might be something you would, you would think about so that you're actually moving towards your goals and your values. Uh, so it's, it's uh, all the tools are like that. Uh, I cost-benefit analysis. A lot of the tools are taken from uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. What do you think are some of the more helpful ones or the ones where people are like, whoa? Um, you know, my favorite 
is the cost-benefit analysis. Uh, and it's, it's useful. Uh, first of all, let me, let me describe what it's like. Yeah, we, could, we, we could even do it. Like, you know, that. if you would like to, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay. That's, so pretend that I'm like a new person in your group. Okay. Uh, so do you have access to like a, a piece of paper and a yes. pen or something like that? Yes. Okay. And maybe Good. maybe uh, our listeners could follow along too. Yeah, it's really a, a useful tool to do. Tool to do. So uh, we're all going to be. I, I want to uh, kind of make it easy so that people get an idea of how this works. Yeah. So the first thing you do is you get a blank piece of paper and you draw, you start in the middle of the top of the paper and draw a straight line down to the bottom of the paper. And then you start uh, on the left-hand side and, and go to the right. And if you're left-handed, it's okay if you do the opposite. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh, the whole idea is, so now you've got four boxes. Uh, and I want you to label the boxes. Uh, and so the box in the upper left, uh, just write the word at the top of the box, advantages. And then on the upper right, uh, right uh, disadvantages. Okay. And then in the uh, box in the lower left, uh, right advantages. And again, disadvantages. And in the middle of the two upper boxes, uh, right. Um, using or doing at the very top. Okay. And the bottom at, at the top of the two bottom boxes, right? Uh, abstaining. Okay. Okay. So now we've got four boxes. Uh, the, the advantages of using on the upper left, the advantages uh, of or the and then the disadvantages of using and in the lower left we have the advantages of abstaining and the lower right disadvantages of abstaining so now what i like to do uh, i'm gonna give you an example although what you would do is you would typically what people do is they they talk uh they're Let's say they're trying to decide, do I want to give up my addiction or do I not want to give up my addiction? So um, let's, let's, uh, I want you to go back to when you were deciding that you wanted to, to stop. Have you, do you, uh, have you decided you wanted to stop or do you actually think of this as like taking a break from drinking? Me personally? Yep, yep. Oh, I'm done, Jim. I'm done. I left that. <laughs> we got divorced. It'll be two years, uh, January 1st. Woo! Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I was, like, on that, you know, taking a break for a long time before I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm done. Peace out. Well, you know, and and that's how we decide things. You know, we try them out and see mm -hmm. if they work. And if they don't work, uh, we say, okay, so screw it. I'll go back to where I was. And if they do work, uh, we say, oh, yeah, I'm done, like you just did. <laughs> so let's go back to that time uh, when you were thinking about your your addiction and and maybe you still not quite decided. So what were some of the advantages that you got out of drinking? Yeah, so I I felt that it relaxed me. Um, okay. I liked the social part. I like social kind of right. Yeah, I liked being like part of the group. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I liked just being able to check out. I liked numbing out. 
Yeah, that, I think those are things that I hear over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, generally, uh, did did uh, did you used to be an anxious person, or did you use alcohol to relieve anxiety? You know, I didn't. Um, I would say my biggest thing was, especially when the kids were younger, was I wanted to physically, well, I could physically be there, but mentally check out. So it was more, I mean, I guess maybe it was a little bit of anxiety, but it it was mainly having a break (laughs) from life. How old were your kids? really little I was it was the worst when they were like between what what when my youngest was one and my other daughter was two three three years old and I stopped breastfeeding and then I went all in on drinking pretty much for the next six years and then tried to quit for another like five years um God, it's it's exhausting isn't it I uh, I raised my kids. They were uh, the youngest was six months old, and the older was oldest was two and a half. Yeah. And holy crap! When I took those kids to the babysitter and dropped them off and went to work, I was like, "Oh, thank you, Jesus! I get to go to work now." <laughs> oh, see, I didn't work. I w- I stayed home, which I loved, and I don't regret. And I wasn't like an awful, awful mother. But I wasn't, it wasn't making me a great mom, that's for sure. It, it, I thought it was making it easier, but it was making it harder. Well, you know, that's the, that's the problem, especially with alcohol is, uh, you know, uh, it, it kind of uh, removes inhibitions and distorts our thinking about stuff. We can, we can fool ourselves into thinking just about anything mm-hmm. when we're drinking. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about things that I, frequently see when uh see in this box uh just so that if there's other people out there listening they might hear one of theirs so uh, a lot of people say it makes sex easier because Mm -hmm. uh because of that same thing uh you you get rid of uh, your inhibitions and uh you you're just not as critical about a lot of things. People talk about it makes it easier to dance. Uh, it relieves anxiety. Uh, it, uh, it gives me, uh, relief from my depression, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, makes me easier to get along with and it makes me enjoy my life more. So that's, those are just some of the things that people would typically put into that box. Uh, so now let's go on over to the top right. Uh, and so what are the advantages of stopping? And that I, I typically tell people, well, think about, you know, uh, the risk that that is an advantage. Like uh, it could be that you've never... I uh, had to go to uh, jail or been arrested uh, in your addiction, but that's still a risk that you're avoiding when you when you give up uh, your addiction. So, what kinds of things uh, did uh, did stopping? Uh, what are some of the advantages of stopping for you? Oh, okay, so we're in the bottom left corner, right? Um, I mean, correct. No, actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I, I'm sorry. Uh, the cost, the disadvantages of using. Oh, the disadvantages of using. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hangovers, for sure. Okay. Uh, anxiety. I guess I did get anxiety the next day. Um, That's typical. Fights with my husband. Okay. Uh, any, any kind of risk that, did you ever drive while you were Yeah, drinking? risk of DUI, that's for sure. Okay. Boy, they're so expensive these days. Oh my God. <laughs> ten, you know, people get caught one time, it was like 10 grand out of their pocket. And, uh, and it's not just that, but, you know, uh, I'm sure you bump into people that have just had negative consequences of, of 
driving drunk uh, accidents and and hurting other people and hurting ourselves and everything is, is terrible. Um, so I'm going to put down legal uh, problems. And and for the fighting with uh, your husband, I, I put down relationship problems because mm-hmm. that covers a whole wide variety of things. Uh, uh, what else can you think of? Uh, like weight gain, poor work performance, um, just not handling health. the kids. What were you going to say? Yeah, health problem. Health money. Problems. Money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm writing these down as we go, just so I can. Uh, uh, okay, that's enough. Well, that'll give us an idea. Uh, okay, now, uh, what are the advantages of abstaining? Better health, better relationships, better sleep, um, handling the kids more just improving work performance, losing uh, weight, you know, <laughs> less stress, you, less anxiety. <laughs> I, okay, less stress and anxiety. Um, yeah, I, you know, since this last, I've, I've never, well, that's not true. I've, I've had weight issues before. But boy, since COVID, holy cow. Uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, economics improved. And a lot of times these are like the, the disadvantages, uh, like we mentioned job problems. Here, uh, you know, job problems uh, clear up. Uh, so, uh, okay, uh, and then we're almost done. Uh, all you people out there and, and Debbie, <laughs> do not give up hope. <laughs> we're, we're almost finished with this exercise. Okay, uh, what are the cost, uh, risks, or disadvantages of abstaining? I'd say social, uh, not having a stress, losing like a stress relief, losing friends. Um, Some of this I'm putting what I was thinking at that time, but I think a lot of it was not being part of the group, being different than society. Isn't that hard? That's Mm -hmm. one of the main things people talk about. I mean, is oh my God, I don't know how to be social. I, I feel awkward at parties. It's, it just gets, it, it's so strange. There's this pressure to do the particular drug of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And when you don't, when you go against the grain, like it's it's hard to be different. Um, and we're it such is. a tribal society. Like we're just belong to these different tribes. Yeah, we want to be us, not them. Uh, I totally get that. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, I mentioned that we're almost finished. Now, now what I want to do is we've we've written down uh, several things in each box. Now I want to go back and uh, look at the upper left box, uh, the advantages of using or drinking. And uh, I want to we're going to write down either S for short-term effect or L for long-term effect. And by short-term effect, I mean a week or less. And long-term effect is it lasts more than uh, a week. So now if you go up uh, and one of the advantages of drinking, so how long are you relaxed when you're drinking? Oh, maybe the first hour or two. Very, definitely yeah, short okay. term. <laughs> okay, Maybe short the term. first hour or two. Okay, and uh, the the same thing with uh, social education, right? Uh, it's it's just while you're feeling the effects of the alcohol. Yes. Okay, and the numbing is just while you're using Absolutely. the vacation, and 
so I, I had written down sex as one of the common things that people, so definitely less than a week, I think. Yes, uh, it for was, sure. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to go over to the right-hand side uh, on the upper right box and talk about the uh, disadvantages of drinking and using. So job problems, generally, what would you say? Would they last longer than a week? Yeah, that would be long-term. Okay, so we got an L. Uh, Hangover, short-term. Anxiety, would you say short-term? Well, it seemed ongoing, I guess, while I was drinking. Okay, years. and then the relationship problems, uh, I Would think... be long. Long-term. Yeah. Uh, DUIs or legal problems... Uh, Those would be long ...go on term. for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, weight gain, probably more than a week, right? Yeah. Uh, health uh, issues? Definitely long-term. Okay, long-term. And economic stuff. Okay, uh, the advantages of abstaining, uh, better houses a long-term, uh, better sleep, uh, I, th- I think that's ongoing. Yes. God, I love say? sleep. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's so much yeah. better. Some people, yeah, I know, it's amazing. Uh, the typical thing when people are drinking is they need the alcohol to go to sleep, they go to sleep and they sleep for three or four hours and then they get up and, and in order to get back to sleep, they, they drink some more. I see that all the time. Relationship issues long-term? Very much better. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> I wrote down less. I think it was less anxiety. Uh, so. Oh, I yeah. I, I'm not anxious. Okay. And then uh, better job and weight stuff. Uh, both of those are long-term. And then in the uh, the cost or the risk of abstaining, uh, some, uh, some social uh, disruption. I, I think it lasts longer than a week. But I also think, did you find it for you, it was just an issue of uh, of getting used to interacting with people without alcohol? I think so. I think it was also going to events where normally you would have drink and you're not, like going to the hockey game or going to a wedding or it's, it's kind of like we're having your first holiday together. Like I, I think that once you get used to not having alcohol, then it becomes your new norm. So I would say that has definitely gotten better. Also, it was weird to, you know, really be solid sober <laughs> in, during the pandemic. I guess it was maybe even a blessing because you just didn't have to deal socially as much. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, the pandemic is... is definitely throwing the monkey wrench into things. I'm, I'm glad you were able to stay sober during that time. And it's, it's been really challenging for a lot of people that come in my meetings. Uh, so the, the friends that you lost, did, I take it it was just some friends, but you, you maintained know, I, relationships? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I really lost friends. I would say I develop different connections with friends and more meaning. Yeah. I, I think that's most people's experience that, mm-hmm. that it's not really an impediment. Although, you know, some people it's like a big part of their relationship to us. And, and when we change that relationship, I think it, it discombobulates them for a little while. They're like, what? I don't know how to interact this interact with this person and what we used to do and talk about it all, you know, with centered around the campfire of drinking. But, yeah. but what happens is we, we develop uh, a new ways of interacting with people and we're actually, you know, more interesting and funnier and dance better when we're not drinking. Uh, although nobody thinks that at the time, <laughs> 
uh, okay, so uh, so now if we, if we look at uh, this list, uh, it's, you know, we see that every, almost everything in, in everybody's list they're going to look at, the advantages of drinking or using, they're in short term. Uh, they're, they just last as long as we are experiencing the effects of the alcohol. Whereas if we look at the, the disadvantages of drinking and using, they're mostly like long-term major effects upon our lives. Uh, you know, legal problems uh, are a big deal. You know, I mean, people uh, wind up going to prison getting their second or third DUI. Uh, health consequences, damaged livers, people with wet brain. Oh my God, what a nightmare! Uh, and and so, uh, it when we do this exercise, we can look at it, and it's so much easier to make a decision and stick with it that you want to go ahead and move on from whatever your addiction is. For for most of us, it is alcohol. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's unbelievable how much we give up for that three hours, uh, uh, or four hours or five hours of drinking. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's, it's just so helpful to like see it all on paper and reinforce that and just see the, the short term versus the long term. So, so. It is, you know, and, and so generally what we do is we, I always tell people, write it out longhand that uh, it doesn't work if you just think about it uh, and it doesn't work if you type it because uh, we have a tendency when we're typing things, uh, it goes from our eyes to our fingers and uh or, or, you know, like a short, brief thing from our brain to our fingers. And they found out that uh, people that take notes in, in uh, like, university lectures, uh, if they type it, they don't remember what it is that they were thinking that they typed. Whereas people that do it longhand, uh, what, they, what they're writing out, it sticks with them, it sticks in their brain. And so I don't use this tool simply to, uh, to make the decision clear. I use this tool to kind of retrain our emotional brain uh, because when people write it out, you, you know, you were saying, I used to have arguments with my husband. Well, when you write that out, uh, that produces an emotional response. And it's getting at that emotional brain uh, where, where our decisions basically, they, they kind of start out down low and come out into our consciousness. And that's, that's the rub of addictions is that they're not logical decisions. Uh, you know, we, we might make a logical decision to not use a drink, but the actual uh, motivation of drinking, uh, that's, that's all tied up in the reward centers of our brain and uh, kind of the, 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 the emotional parts of our brain that, that don't even use words. You know, they're just urges. Mm-hmm. So I tell people... Do one of these uh, once a day for the first 30 days. And uh, I've had a lot of people that it was, it was exactly what got them over the edge. That's great. And, and so it's called a cost-benefit analysis. Right. And you mentioned that all these tools can be found on smartrecovery.org. Is that right? Yeah, they can. Uh there also uh, there's a handbook that I recommend to all the people that I attend my meetings. You can get an e-copy from Amazon, or you can have them uh, send you a handbook uh, by ordering on the website. Uh, and and there's also 
you can go to the website and there's a toolbox tab that you can click on and uh, the tools are presented and explained. And they're just, uh, you know, there's a bunch of really useful tools. Uh, there's a, a tool called the ABC tool and there's a tool called the HOB, the Hierarchy of Values values uh, tool that we talked about earlier. Uh, and there's, you know, there's probably 15 or 20 tools in that toolbox. Yeah, it's so great. And it's all free unless you buy the handbook. Yeah, it is. And the uh, meetings, meetings are free and you can find them on that site also? Yes. Uh, there's a, a meetings tab and there's also uh, one of the people involved, uh, you know, that that went to meeting. Uh, they they wrote a script uh, in Python for for uh, smart recovery and it's uh, called smartfinder.pythonanywhere.com uh, or you can uh, just go to the website and there's a meeting tab there and it'll show you uh, where the meetings are located. Most of our meetings are on Zoom now. That's great. Well, I'll be sure I'll put that in the show notes, the link to smart recovery. Um, and then how could people find you, Jim, if they want to connect with you? You know, the, the easiest way is uh, send me an email. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my email address is jim at jdickey.com. So that's J-I-M at J-D-I-C-K-E-Y dot com. And then I also, I have a website uh, called reptiledysfunction.org. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I, I used to have it so that you could uh, contact me through that website and leave comments. And uh, for every one comment that I got, I got about uh, 1,000 uh, sort of spam oh. uh, requests. <laughs> there you go. I you were going to say you got something from, like, the Reptile Society. Wait, so it's called Rep <laughs> Reptile Dysfunction, I love that name, dot org. Yeah, that's it. And, I, you know, I, I started that website mm, probably around 2011 or 2012. And I, I, still, uh, I still go in and update it. Uh, I, looked, I was looking at it yesterday. I was updating one of my uh, pages. And... Uh, I noticed uh, one of the links was was broken, so I got to go in and fix that sometime today. But yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm I'm always happy to see people. Uh, I'm starting a face-to-face -face meeting in Alameda on Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday night at this little place called the Home of Truth in Alameda. It's a it's a sort of a spiritualist church. Uh, I've been around a long time. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, we're like a little community, you know, you've, you've got the alcohol tipping point and, uh, I know, yeah, you know, Sina, uh, she's, she's involved in, uh, she's really active on a lot of Facebook pages and stuff. Uh, and a, a lot of us, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know how you feel, uh, but in my meetings, I just feel like uh, it's it's this really intimate, loving uh, group of people that just will do anything to help one another. And, uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, it's one of the best things I've ever been involved with in my life. And I would imagine you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I, I was thinking... Um... When you were talking about how powerful it is to write down your thoughts um, in meetings, and for people, that that's why I wanted to have you on too, Jim, is just so people know there's other options out there besides AA. Uh, Smart Recovery is a great option that meetings are a, just a lovely way to connect. And we talked a lot about feeling like you were not part of the tribe of drinkers, but there's a tribe of sober people out there that are pretty damn cool. 
Um, and yeah, there is something about getting a group of people together and just sharing their souls that helps us recover out loud. And it's so important. And just being able to tell your story out loud is so helpful and it's so inspiring and everyone is helping each other, like you said. So I would definitely recommend meetings of any kind. There, There's a lot out there and this is just one option. Yeah. I mean, there are, there really uh, are just, you know, there's, uh, uh, I don't know what, uh, you know, there's uh, Buddhist groups and there's, there's atheist groups and there's, uh, religious groups, but they're all based on the same thing, you know, of, of everybody, you know, holding one another's hands and helping one another up uh, out of, you know, it's, it's addiction is, is slavery, you know, and, and we help one another up and out of it. And uh, I don't know, I, I think it's just uh, a really interesting thing. And I think what's important uh for people, they need to find a meeting, a, a group of people where they feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're if you're comfortable with twelve step and it's working for you, twelve step is your thing, and you go with that. And and if you want to uh, like meeting surf and try different types of meetings, you know, you might want to do refuge recovery or life ring or 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 smart recovery. Uh, and and there's just so many resources out there. And the main thing is, uh, if you align with one particular group or something like that, then that's your group. Yeah, find your people. Well, exactly. Good. Well, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing all your smart stuff and tools. And I um, can't thank you enough. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks, Debbie, for having me. And I, I just had a really good time talking to you. And uh, I, I, I'm really glad that you asked me to, to come on. Excellent. Well, happy holidays to you and your family. Same to you, Debbie. Okay. Take care. We'll be in touch. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Attention, Idaho and California residents. If you're shopping for a mortgage, contact PacFi a mortgage brokerage with the top wholesale lenders in the nation. They are committed to simplifying the mortgage process, saving you time and money. Call 858-442-7048 or visit pacfi.com. NMLS number 1462943, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys, so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.